Welcome. Please have a seat. Do you know what? I have been playing Spot the Difference all morning. Do you know what? Riley looks even better today than he did four months ago, and he's only got one more exam to go. Can you give him a round of applause? Can you guess what exam it is? It blew me away. Do you know what, ex- what it is? Yeah, it's business. This dude can do music and business. Hey, Catherine Graham, spot the difference. Woohoo! Check out that belly. That's so exciting. And you know what? There are some things that aren't different. Caleb Schoombeck still loves to draw. Can you give him a round of applause? He's super cute. I love you, Caleb. Hey, Levi. <laughs> There's other things that are different. We're not looking at a screen light right now. Are you thankful for that? Yeah, you don't, you're not looking at a real close-up of my face. Bless you. So good. The other difference, people, music. But there's one thing that isn't different, and that is Jesus. Can we be super thankful for that today? Jesus has been constant throughout this whole season. Have you felt it? Maybe not. Maybe you have. But it doesn't change who he is We're going to talk about truth today, and I just want to point out that the Jesus that was here with us three months ago and the Jesus that's here today, the Jesus that you saw on the screen, he's the same one, and he's truthful. So for me, during COVID, my Instagram use went way up. Anyone else? Yeah? Instagram use went way up, maybe Facebook. It's actually embarrassing. There's an analysis on my app about it, and I don't want to look at it, and I won't look at it. So my husband and I, we own a exercise physiology business and I do all the socials for it. Three Instagram platforms, three Facebook platforms and my own personal one. That's disgusting. (laughs) I'm ashamed about it, but that's my life at the moment. But as I was on Instagram, I noticed a whole lot of different profiles coming up and it's because of this. So James and I decided as we were kind of all awakening to the increase of mental health in like because of COVID, because of social distancing, we decided to create a like a relationship building resource on Instagram because that was the platform that was available to us and to most people. But it meant I had another thing to do. But the algorithm for that profile, which is really interesting, different to my own profile, it kept... um, pushing at me and I kept having followers that were about the same kind of, they felt like the same kind of person to me and that's weird. But on on Instagram, you know, the profile that you come across, who here uses Instagram? Okay. Okay. So I'm not talking to no one right now. Okay, good. It's kind of similar to Facebook. Who here uses Facebook? Who here doesn't have a social platform? I might need to rewrite my whole sermon. (laughs) There's actually a few of you. Okay, bless you. Well done. How have you lived? I don't know. But (laughs) profiles, they only push the part of themselves or they only project the part of themselves that they want people to see. And is that different to normal life? Probably not. So I can still speak to you guys. That's okay. So in these profiles, there was this one person or profile that kind of raised an alarm bell for me on That's a Good Question Project, which is the resource that we created. And this person, they didn't use a name in their profile, they used a title. And that's not unusual either, I'm not saying that's not unusual, but they used words like, um, 
lost struggling forever, um, sanity, anxious. And they actually changed their profile title like multiple times. They're, it, it was alarm, like I, I was drawn to this person. I'm a compassionate person, I had empathy. And so I took my own advice and I, I went down the question line. I just thought I might just acknowledge them and ask them about their profile. So I started a, like a one month kind of conversation with this person and I have boundaries online. I only talk to someone, especially if I don't know them, once a day. And I needed that boundary with this person. And it was just really eye-opening, the things that that person would say to me because they were anonymous. Um, and I wondered whether I would get the same story if I was face-to-face with them. And you know what? I, I actually think I probably would if I got to know that person. There would, be, there would be space for me to be able to receive them in that projection that they were offering me. So that's where my thoughts have come from. I've been in this online world. And today, I want to talk about truth. So I began to kind of metaphorically, if you can follow me, see this person or this profile in in the people in my street. So it moved from like an online world to an everyday kind of life situation. And possibly because the Holy Spirit had opened my eyes to something, possibly it was just the way that I was thinking at the time. But... It was almost like I began seeing this person in my street. I was um, seeing them at the shops. I was seeing them um, at the park and with my boys at the park all the time, walking with them on, on the beach. Some people I would speak to, some people I wouldn't speak to. Um, I, was awake, I was awakening to this, what Jesus would describe as someone that's poor in spirit or this is the sign language for it, like, there's um, their, their, their face and their eyes are thrown downward or uh, their body is heavy. Um, it's actually like a, a, body, a bodily language that tells an inner story, if you can understand what I'm saying. I started to see this person over and over again and it actually started to hurt me, phys- like hurt me in my body too, that there were people in my neighbourhood that were, for some reason, poor in spirit, what Jesus would say is poor in spirit from Matthew's Gospel. Um, And I began praying for these people. Actually, I walk walk around our neighbourhood with a good friend of mine, Nick Gilzine. I've known Nick since I was a little girl, and um, we've actually become better friends because of COVID. (laughs) Do you know Nick lives down the road from me? I didn't know that. (laughs) But we would walk... Um, usually every like Monday, Wednesday morning. And as our friendship um, kind of grew a bit, sorry, I'm talking about a relationship. Is that okay? Yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) We began to um, notice these people together and pray for these people together. And we, we began to wonder about the lies that these people were thinking about or believing to make their body get heavier. Give me a hand in the air if you understand the concept that I'm talking about because I feel like I'm working hard. Oh, let's move on. Okay, good. All right. So we began praying for these people um, and we actually asked a few other Christians in our neighbourhood to pray with us for our neighbourhood and that has been um, 
incredible to be able to pray with other people about the same people that we walk with, the same people we are praying for. We actually discovered that there's a lot of um, mental illness in young children, in young people in our neighbourhood and even more so throughout the last year. Um, but there is, I'm go, I've got hope. <laughs> so there's an alpha stat that's come out really recently that, get this, like seven out of ten of your neighbours have Googled the word prayer in the first year of the pandemic. When I first heard that, I was like, oh, wow. Seven out of ten of your neighbours have Googled prayer. And I actually didn't believe it for a while, but I had to keep asking Jesus about it. Like, what does that mean for me? It's a motivating um, piece of statistics. So, like, Google, this is um, global uh, sample size. It's uh, religion non-discriminate. This is an incredible um, source of information. And it is telling us that it used to be five out of 10 people, but during the pandemic, seven out of 10 people. They, they could be seven people that are, that are Christians or seven people that aren't Christians. We don't know that information. Google probably doesn't know, or they might. I don't know. <laughs> but this is a motivating statistic for me. Like, how does that make you feel? Do you feel pretty excited about that stat? Do you, could you walk down your street and think, out of the seven houses that I just walked by, or ten houses that I just walked by, seven of them possibly had Googled prayer, and you live in that street? Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, so in John 8, 31 to 59, that is the scripture we're going to look at, but I'm going to summarise it for us because it's really long. So... In verse 31, Jesus is standing in front of people who have said that they believe him, people who have said that they, um, that they want to follow him. And in, in 28 verses, that, that, that belief moves significantly the other direction. But here we go. Uh, verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I read this and I'm like, yes, amen. I've struggled with self-identity all of my life. Give me this truth. But in verse 33, the disciples are thinking, um, they're thinking teaching, yes. Disciples, yes. Uh, truth, yes. Verse 33, freedom, no. So the, the Jewish people, they think that their freedom has come from their, their first patriarchal father, which is Abraham, and that they don't need freedom, and which is really untrue, right? Because the, the Jewish people, they have been in and out of exile for hundreds of years. They've been under different leaderships. They're back in uh, Jerusalem, well, many of them at the time, but there is still abuse. There is still other leaders that are, that are telling them what to do, poverty, even dehumanization, but... They're experiencing this as a nation, but they still believe some kind of lie that they're free. Jesus has introduced this new word, freedom, and it doesn't paint them well. It paints them as if they are in a chain. It paints them as if they can't manage themselves, which I, I don't like the image either. I don't like to think that I would need to be setting free, but we are the most depressed and anxious generations to live, and we do need freedom. I can't... I can't do that for myself. I can't create my own peace. And Jesus says in verse 35 that he would create for them a place in his family, in his permanent family, the family of God. But like this incredible statement was completely lost on deaf ears because they were 
very much um, offended. They were offended by the image that he had already brought. The slavery image was just too offensive. So they, they kept bringing it back to, to Abraham and the fact that Abraham is their connection to God. At this point, it gets really heated. They're offended. They feel like they've been told that their history isn't applicable. Um, Jesus has been trying to tell them that he comes in the name of the same God that they worship, the same God that they identify with, and they just they can't see it. They, they feel put off. So the conversation turns really bad. And I'm conflict-averse, and I really don't like reading it, and I'm not going to read it to you. <laughs> but um, what Jesus does is the Jews are seeing red, but Jesus, he has a choice. Earlier in this chapter, he kind of deflected a little bit, and he actually knelt down and started to um, write in the sand to slow the conversation. I don't know why I did that to slow the conversation or to think about his words, to be slow to anger, really. But in this situation, he actually pushes on, which is fairly unique for him. And he says, in verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. And then he takes that really well-traveled parenting line in verse 43, which is, you're not listening to me. And if my kids were listening at home, their, their eyes would flick up at the TV, like, what are you doing? Um, and then rightly or wrongly, he says in verse 44, your father isn't, like, your father isn't God, because if, if he was God, then you would love me, but you want to kill me, just like the devil. So and he, then he actually says, the devil must be your father, which is like, that's hectic. And then they start trying to play the, 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 um, the game of who's the better person. And obviously Jesus would win that because he's pathologically unable to sin. I'm going to keep moving quickly. Um, and then they come back to their golden ticket. But in verse, like within the verses of 31 and 59, these people have moved from believing him and feeling really happy about his message and really cushy about his message to getting violent and getting pretty hectic so in verse 56, this is where like the real mic drop moment comes. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And then the Jews replied, you're not yet 50 years old. You have not seen Abraham. And then Jesus says, very truly I tell you, and here it comes, Abraham was born before Abraham was born. I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus like hid himself and slipped away into the crowd. Isn't that amazing? I wish I could just like hide. You know, um, there's two concepts that I want to talk about today. The first one is the I am statement and the second one is the question of truth. But the I am statements, I might even skip a bit, but the, to the question, who do you think you are? And Jesus answering, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. These words, I am, they come from the Exodus story. So Moses, back in Exodus, was saying, I can come to the Jewish people and I can tell them that you want to set them free, but they're not going to believe me. And in Exodus um, 3.13, God says back to him, um, 
I am who I am, and this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Like the difference here is that Moses said, I am has sent me to you, but Jesus in our passage is saying, I am, full stop. So he is declaring that he is God. And then also in the, in the, in the wrap of the story, Jesus is declaring that just like in Moses' day, where the people were delivered from Egypt, he is delivering again. Like Jesus is doing a redemptive work again. But the Jews aren't able to connect that with their narrative. There's, there's a, a long history behind that. So Jesus wants to offer people a roadmap. And we know this roadmap as the seven I am statements. Today, the, from the passage that we're talking about today, this isn't one of them. It's, a, it's like an on-ramp to the seven I am statements. I just want to give you this chunk of truth really quickly. And these are my summary of the seven I am statements. And this is... Um, Jesus has everything that we need. This is the truth that will lift your head and this is the truth that will straighten your spine. And this is why you are different because you're a Jesus follower. Jesus has everything we need. Jesus removes darkness and puts in its place hope. Jesus protects life. Jesus gives life both now and forever. Jesus put his life on the line where we should have. Jesus introduces us to his family and to his father. Jesus does his good work through us. This is how the new concept of Jesus was related to the already known concept of God. And if any of these truths have jumped out to you, oh, that's really pretty, Steph, good job. If any of these truths have um, jumped out at you, like note them down because these are the truths that will set you free. So truth, Jesus is truth. Jesus is the true vine. Your hunt will always land you in the middle of Jesus and his teaching. If Jesus doesn't affirm it, it's not truth. I used to lie a lot. Someone recently, when I told my story, actually called me a pathological liar. <laughs> I was like, oh, not wrong. <laughs> I used to lie a lot to paint a different picture for the people around me as to who I was because I didn't feel like I was... I'm worthy. I didn't feel like I was impressive. And for some reason, that was important to me. But recently, over the last 10 something years, I learned that, that the only opinion that matters to me and that should matter to me is Jesus's opinion of me. And he actually thinks that I'm a masterpiece. And there's scripture behind that. I'm a creative person. So it actually means a lot to me. The reason that I was set free from that was because of scripture and because of Jesus. Jesus is the foundational truth that all truth branches from. It doesn't, if it doesn't connect itself to him like a vine, it's not truth. Jesus is, in found, it, Jesus is found in scripture from Genesis, which is the first book of the Old Covenant to uh, Revelation, which is the last book of the New Covenant. It doesn't matter where you stand in history. Jesus is found in all of Scripture and he is the truth. If it is not intended by Scripture, it is not truth. This is why Jesus said in verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is someone who doesn't want you 
to know the truth. And this is the very reason why we don't know the truth, all of the truth. There is a barrier and that barrier is the devil. He doesn't want us to find freedom. He doesn't want us to live in freedom. In John 10, it says, this is actually one of our I am statements. It's statement number three. Yes, I am the gate. This is Jesus speaking. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The devil's actually really good at what he does and we shouldn't expect him to not get good at that. He doesn't unlearn. But we, we who carry truth, we are being placed into people's lives to be able to counter that lie that's in their head. This is a second lot of truth that um, actually means a lot to me and there are so many more truths that Jesus declares on earth but these are just the ones that I have lived through. These are the truths that will lift your head and straighten your spine. Jesus is committed to you. Jesus wants to heal you. Jesus is not afraid of your mess. Hallelujah. Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to give you joy. Jesus wants you to succeed. Jesus wants to give you a family. And Jesus wants to give you mission. I say wants because Jesus is not going to push anything on you. I would love to ask you, like, what resonates with you? I'd love to give you time for that, but I've only got three minutes and I'm not going to push that boundary. So whether you are a Christ follower or you are orbiting him, these statements remain true because Jesus thinks the same way about every person. He doesn't have a different rule for different people. He offers these assurances to every single person. He is committed to every single person and this should change the way that we see people. Actually, in Matthew 7, it says these words, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The door to Jesus is really easy to open. You simply ask him. This is for someone who knows Jesus. This is for someone who is becoming acquainted with him. His truth, it's just a simple getting to know him. Let me prove it to you. John 9, before Saul encountered Jesus, he believed a lie that Jesus wasn't to be trusted. This caused him to find and kill Christ's followers. He was a murderer. When Saul encountered Jesus, he learnt the truth that Jesus wasn't afraid of him, that Jesus wanted to connect connect with him and heal him. Saul started praying. Jesus heard that prayer. Jesus sent someone to pray with him. Jesus gave him a new name, filled him with his spirit, gave him mission. Saul changed. Saul wrote a fair chunk of the Bible. He moved from murderer to preacher. But before Jesus did any of this, He asked Saul's permission, and with Saul's verbal affirmation of Lord, Jesus was able to begin the process of healing him. And Jesus doesn't make you do anything. He 
asks the question that is going to allow you to think about what is it that you want to be well from. In John 5, he asks that same question of a lame man. I don't have time to talk about it. If we look at the statements that we've looked at, the two chunks of statements of truth, they are only my story. They are the only ones that I can identify with. Possibly there are more for you. Possibly um, there are some in that list that you don't identify with at all. But they are asleep moments to awake moments in my life. They are moments that I carry with me. They are my testimony. They are the truths that are setting me free. They are the truths that are healing me. Jesus isn't done in doing his work with me. These are the ways that he heals me in my immediate reality, in my life, in my walk, apart from the way that he has healed me in my eternal life, that I, I no longer li- li- will be going to a place of death. I'll be with him. I would like to ask you to like just think about what is your mat woven from? What truths weave together to create the mat that has set you free? In John 5, we look at a lame man, and if, if you want to look at this story at some point, it's great. Jesus asks him to pick up his mat and to go. That mat was woven together from his life, but also the moment that he had with Jesus. And ask yourself, do you want to be well? Do you want to be more well than you are right now? At Home Group a few weeks ago, we were discussing this text together and Shelley summed it up really beautifully and this is how I'd like to leave it today. She said that in John 8, Jesus was saying this to us. It's not about your religion. It's not about owning your righteousness. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, let me pray for us. Father, be glorified. Jesus, come and be with us. Heal us and show us how to love like you do. Give us everything that we need to be able to live fully and sacrificially. Jesus, heal us for the things that have distanced us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.